Well, good morning. My name is Chad Gilbert. I have the great joy of serving as the senior pastor here at First Baptist New Orleans. And this morning, I want to invite you to turn in God's Word to the book of Haggai. Um, we as a church are going through this minor prophet, minor meaning not that he was insignificant, but just that his prophecy is a little shorter. Now listen, there's no shame in using the table of contents because when we start talking about the minor prophets, there are 12 of them and they're all kind of lumped together um, right before the New Testament. Um, but it can be hard to find this one because it's only usually about two pages long. And so anyway, so if you find a prophecy that has the, that starts with Z, either Zephaniah or Zechariah, he's right in between those two guys. So if you find Z, you're getting close, okay, um, as you're looking for Haggai. Um, I'm really excited uh, today. I want to invite you, if you're a, a guest or you're somebody that's been tracking with us here at First Baptist for a little bit, one of the things I love to get to do on the first Sunday of every month is to lead a, a class um, at 11 o'clock called Get to Know FBNO. And really, it's kind of a, a, a membership class, if you will, or if you're just wanting to learn more about what is membership like at First Baptist. And what we talk about really is what is the big picture? What, what are the, the undergirding values and convictions? that this church holds that really cause us to do the things we do. And as you know, a lot of times um, it's your values and convictions that lead you to say yes to things and then also no to other things. And so I'd encourage you, if you have time today, to please stick around. Um, we'll be done by noon so you can see the kickoff, uh, you know, uh, hopefully. Uh, but that'll be right down this hallway in room 151. And so I would love for you to join me today with that. I also want to say a special word of welcome to my parents, Boone and Tina Gilbert, that are here today. Uh, so mom and dad, thank y'all for being here today. Love you guys. Um, thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, uh, on Friday was my birthday. And so they came in to celebrate yesterday and all that kind of stuff. But you know, like it's really, you know, birthdays are one of those interesting things. All I didn't do this week, all this, this year was die, you know, like, so I made it another year, but really birthdays should be a time of celebrating mothers, right? Um, cause they're the, who keep us alive, you know, all those things. So mama love you. And I thank you. I thank God for you. As we turn into, into, into Haggai, I want you to, to remember kind of the context, okay, um, of where we are and, and what all has happened. Um, Israel, God's people in the Old Testament are this group that ever since the, the beginning of the Old Testament in, Hebrew, in, in Genesis chapter 12, that God has set apart through a man named Abram, who then becomes Abraham. He has a son who has a son who then has 12 sons that become then representative heads of 12 tribes of Israel. And, and, and the story of the Old Testament is in large measure the story of this set apart people of God. But what we see as we begin to look at their story is a lot of evidence of God's glory and his grace, but also of the fallenness of man. I mean, when you really begin to look at the Old Testament, you see story after story after story of people who were godly. They were set apart as God's people and who did a lot of things really well, but there were some unbelievable moments of failure. And as we all know that when we make volitional choices, to go our own way and to leave God's way, there are consequences for that. And so God has been very clear with his people. In fact, in Deuteronomy, he's made very clear a kind of this really big climactic moment of, of if you do this, then this will be the result. And if you go your own way, this will be the result. And so really what we get to when we get over to the prophecies and to, to this period in Israel's history is the consequences of going their own way. 
Now, before you think, well, man, God's just really heavy handed and really quick to anger. No, he's not at all. In fact, he, he delays his anger and his punishment many times by hundreds of years in order to be patient with his people and to be gracious to them. But they have experienced now his, the consequence of, of sin. And so what we've seen already is Israel falls to Assyria. Last week, I flipped everything uh, as I'm up here. Uh, but this week, we'll, see, we'll get it right. Um, Israel falls to Assyria, and now Judah has fallen to Babylon, and and the people have gone into exile. I'm looking at my wife just for that quick confirmation. Um, have gone into exile, and now they've come back. The temple, okay, which is where God's presence uniquely was was found with His people, has been destroyed, and now God, at this point in their history, is calling them to rebuild the temple. And he's calling them to do something that in many ways seems like really poor timing. And we talked about that last week, that God's people are saying, now it's not the time. Now it's not the time. And God is saying, now is the time. Now is the time to rebuild my temple. And so it's really important for, for God's people to, to orient themselves to the, to the priority of God's presence. That, that, that that's first and foremost. For, it to, for us to be God's people is to prioritize God in his presence in our lives. And so that's an important takeaway for every one of us as we're kind of moving into this, is that first and foremost, if you call yourself a Christian or you, or you, or you want to be a godly person, you're putting God and his presence in your life as the priority. Um, and in every regard, you want God to be at the center of your life. And so the people, the very end of chapter one, they obey and they begin work on the house. But now we pick up here in chapter two, and I wanna invite you to stand for the reading of God's word from Haggai chapter two. And we're just gonna be looking at verses one through nine today. So hear the word of the Lord. And just to, to pick up real fast, back in verse 14 and 15 of chapter one, it says, they began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Now picking up in verse one. On the 21st day of the seventh month, so you've got about a month, Okay, that's gone by. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of armies says this, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. God, if there's anything clear in this passage, it is that you are the Lord of armies. And that's a truth we need reminder of today. 
You are sovereign and in control of all. There is nothing outside of your control. You are the Lord of armies. And so today, God, we pray for orientation that only comes by the power of your Holy Spirit moving us through and in accordance with your word so that we, we will be the godly ones of these moments who manifest in every way the godliness that is to adorn the gospel and those who then bring this gospel of peace to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. God's word here today, the main point of this moment of God speaking to his people is this, to encourage, to encourage. That's important for you and I to understand today is that God thousands of years ago, something like 2,500 years ago, was speaking to his people in a very clear way to encourage them to persevere, to encourage them to keep going. And brothers and sisters, I believe that you and I need that same encouragement today as we set our eyes on Jesus and we follow him. So hear the word of the Lord today. Be encouraged by the glory of God's patience, by the glory of God's promise, and by the glory of God's power. His patience, his promise, and his power. That's how this passage unfolds today. And what I hope that you will be encouraged by as you walk with the Lord. First of all, be encouraged by the glory of God's patience in verses one through four. Notice it says on the 21st day of the seventh month. Now, the reason I went back to verses 14 and 15 of chapter one is because it gives a specific time stamp. Okay, just like when you look at you know, an expiration date or a, uh, a made on date, you know, like to kind of get a sense, how old is this thing? These messages are time stamped so we can see exactly when they're taking place. And at this point, only a month has lapsed. Uh, Haggai's whole prophecy takes place in about a four month window uh, from the very beginning to the very end. So this isn't a, a really long wind. Like when we turn over to Isaiah, we see long periods of time elapsing throughout this prophecy, but Haggai's pretty concise. It's at a clear moment in their history. But after only four weeks, the people of God are needing significant encouragement. Notice what happens. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, the, the governor of Judah. Speak to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and to the people. So the, the governor, the high priest, and the people. That's who's in view here that God is speaking to in order to provide leadership and to speak to his people. And he asked this, he says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Now, scholars are kind of, you know, divided about some of these things, but it's very likely that there were those who were exiled as children who are now back and are seeing it now in its ruined state and now kind of the, 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 the foundations being relayed in a new outline of the temple and they're seeing it. There were those that actually stayed behind, that actually never left, that remained there, that would have grown up possibly as children, remaining in Israel with all of these different nations coming in and living among them and seeing a radical change in the way that things were in this place. And so there are those that are in this moment who are looking at this thing and saying, it's not like it used to be. It'll never be what it once was. It'll never be it will never be as good as it was. 
Doesn't it look, seem to you like nothing by comparison, God says. Like this, this isn't even worth comparing. Even so, be strong. Zerubbabel, this is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people. This is the Lord's declaration. God is speaking to his people, knowing that just after the course of one month, that it, for many of them, they're ready to throw in the towel because it doesn't look like this is going to be anything like it once was. I remember when the Lord called me to do summer missions as a college student. I went to the conference center where you had to be kind of like vetted and, and they spend time with you and then they make an assignment of where you're going to go. And so there is this sense in which you're just yielding yourself to serving and then others are deciding where you're going to go based on just your unique you know, personality, uh, what, what maybe you bring to the table and the needs that are there. And so I was assigned to go to a country in West Africa called Burkina Faso. And so I was going to be spending 10 weeks in Burkina Faso as a, just finishing up my junior year of college. I'm about 21 years old. And man, am I excited about an adventure. I mean, I'm just like, man, this is incredible. I, I feel like I've won the lottery of all the summer missions experiences because, I mean, we're going to be going to this really rural environment, you know, very primitive conditions. I mean, this is stuff that like, you know, when National Geographic goes and they're like in, the, in these really remote primitive areas, Burkina Faso, okay? So like just, I mean, like absolutely that kind of a, of a context. And so we go and we get there and we break into teams and then we go off and the missionaries just drop us in the middle of these, these most remote, arid places and say, we'll be back in two weeks to get you. Good luck. And then that was it. And so we have one interpreter with us who is a journeyman or a journey girl that's there with IV who barely knows the language. I mean, like just enough, you know, to ask for food, you know, I mean, it's like, it feels like that. And there we are, you know, to be able to do the gospel. So this first four weeks go by and it is the most difficult experience of my life. I mean, I've never been as sick. I've never been as hot, you know, I've never been as, uh, you know, overwhelmed by the barriers to being able to communicate with people, the language barrier, a lot of the cultural barriers, all these things. And we get to the one month point and one of my teammates comes to our group of seven and says, guys, uh, God told me it's time to go back to the United States and I, I've got to go. Um, I was never supposed to come. And so I'm actually, I've already, you know, uh, gone and messaged and, and the missionaries are going to come pick me up. And so um, I'm out. Well, so I went off to my prayer tree, which was, you know, a stone's throw out from there, and I cried like a baby. I mean, I'm telling you what, I cried and cried and cried out to, the God, to God because I wanted to go home. <laughs> I, I was like, this is not what I thought this summer would be. I have never been so sick in my life. I have never been seemingly so useless in my life. I just, I, God, I don't understand what I am doing here and there was this really, really beautiful girl who had sent me with 10 cards, one for each week that I would be there as encouragement cards. Fast forward, uh, she's right here on the front row. Um, 
we weren't dating yet, but she, we were, you know, we, uh, uh, we already knew, you know, like, I think this is the one, you know, kind of thing. So she had sent me with these 10 encouragement cards. And in this moment, um, it was on a Tuesday where I'm just like, at my lowest point, I really sensed God saying, open the card. And I was like, I don't want some girl to be my strength. Lord, I just want you. God's saying, open the note. I can just truly sense this, this prompting, like, open the letter. No, God, I, I just need you. Open the note. And I open the note, and it's just a verse on the top that says, do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. And just a quick little note of when I did summer missions, it was about this point that I began to grow weary, that one month, that one month point. And God used this passage to encourage me to keep going. Can I tell you, a revival broke out in Burkina Faso under that prayer tree in this man's heart. Because I knew that God saw me before I got to the prayer tree. He saw me in that moment way over here, months and months before I would get to my lowest point and prompted this amazing woman to write a little note of encouragement that in that moment, God would use his own word to keep me going. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what's taking place in this passage. God is sending his prophet knowing exactly what his people needed in order to keep going. He knew that as they looked at the footprint of the temple, that it was nothing in comparison. And in addition, they didn't have any gold. They didn't have any incredible woods. I mean, if you turn back over in the Old Testament and you look at the, at the temple that Solomon built, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable gold and precious metals wood that was as beautiful as any wood that you can imagine that just overlaid everything. Everything was beautiful. And now here they are and they don't have those kind of resources. And what they're doing is they're tying all of those, those fixtures, all of those exteriors, all of the things that you and I would say, well, you got to have this in order for it to be a glorious temple. You, you got to have this. It's not going to be the same. Here's a limitation. Here's a reason this isn't going to be as good. And God is stepping in in this moment and he's saying, be strong, work. Be strong, work. Don't let someone tell you that it's not going to be like it was. I'm telling you the glory of this house is going to be greater than the former. And nobody there could really wrap their heads around that. And so God, seeing them right where they are, speaks to them through his word in order to encourage them to keep going with the work. Brothers and sisters, God sees you right now. Notice in the passage, God speaks directly to Zerubbabel. He speaks directly to Joshua, and then he speaks collectively to the people. God sees you right where you are. And right now, God is encouraging you to persevere in your faith to lock your eyes back on him and to keep running the race that he has ordained for you to run. Fixing your eyes on Jesus and not growing weary. Keep going. Don't throw in the towel. Don't allow what's on the current news cycle to distract you from Jesus. Don't allow the current difficulties in your life of a financial difficulty or a relational difficulty or a work difficulty to take your eyes off of Jesus and for you to think that there's no way that what's ahead could ever be as good as what's behind. But life's over. 
There's nothing ahead. Don't listen to that. Be strong. But you look and, and they looked and, and we look today. And we say, How, where, where can my strength come from? God, I'm not strong. God, I'm weak. I mean, think about the people that are doing the work. They have been exiled. These are people that have been torn from their homes, have lived in a foreign land and now made their way back and are having to re rebuild everything about their lives. And not only that, but because they haven't prioritized God, they're working so hard in the fields, but getting very little fruit. They're, they're working hard in order to earn a day's wage and then they reach in their pocket to get it and there's a hole in their pocket. I mean, that's what God said in his word. You're doing all this, but you haven't prioritized me. And so I'm causing all the work that you're doing to produce nothing in order to get you back to me, in order to bring you back. And God's doing the same thing today to us, wanting to get our attention yet again to bring us back to him, to bring us back to this reality of his promise. Be encouraged not only by the glory of God's patience, of, of being patient with them, of, of saying, I know what you need. I know it's only been four weeks, but I'm gonna remind you again. I'm gonna remind you again. I'm gonna keep reminding you and keep encouraging you of my promise. Be encouraged by the glory of God's promise. Work for I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. And this was hard for them to believe because the temple wasn't built. The place where they knew God's presence was uniquely the Holy of Holies, it, it, it was in ruins. And so it was hard to believe God is with us right now, right here in this. I mean, it's, it's, it's not there. And God is saying, believe me, I am with you. Now listen, I, this is me kind of leaning into us in this moment as I try to think about this, this application is, is that the hard part for us to believe? Is it hard for you and me today to believe that God is with us? Or is that actually the, the easier part of the equation for us? Have we become a culture where we're like, of course, you know, God's with me. God's going to be with me in anything that I do. And, and God's, you know, and we, we kind of have maybe flipped it a little bit to where we need to maybe begin to ask a question. Are we with God? Not, not so much is God with us. And there may be some in this room that your orientation is rightly on God and you're needing that encouragement that God is with you. But there are others in this room right now that are, you're, you're running your own way. You're doing your own thing and you're constantly just saying, God, be with me in this. God, go with me in this. God, whatever I wanna do, God, you come with me rather than realizing that God is orienting you to come with him. The work that he's calling them to do is the work that he has ordained for them to do, the rebuilding of his temple. That's the work. It's not a, it's not an ambiguous work. It's not just work, do anything. It's a specific work. He wants them to rebuild his temple so that his presence can be with his people in a unique and visible way. He's calling them in faith to step away from their paneled houses and to step away from their fields and to step away from the, the, from the grind of trying to just make some money and get the kids raised in order to 
focus on him. He's calling them in this way and he's reminding them that he is with them in that work, in that work. Well, not to give away the story, but you turn over into the New Testament and this is one of those moments where the divinity of Jesus Christ becomes radically clear. In Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus speaks to his disciples, the 11 that remain, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. For surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are the words of Jesus. Do you hear the echo of those words with God saying, I am with you. And can I just tell you in this moment, to move into this moment in 2023, the work that you and I are called to is the work of making disciples of all nations. That's what we exist for. The the church, we come together in order to worship a God who wants his glory on display in every nation, tribe, and tongue through the power of the gospel. And so we, among all people of the earth, should be concerned with Israelis and Palestinians, with Russians and Ukrainians, and with every other people group in the world and for the sake of the gospel, of getting the gospel to these places. JP mentioned this earlier, that ultimately we're praying for the peace that only comes through Jesus Christ. This is the unique reality that we live in. And Jesus has commanded us to work making disciples of all nations. Can I just go ahead and tell you, that's the work that you and I set down all of the time. And we minimize and we, we marginalize and we push it off and we say, well, that's for somebody else or that's just for missionaries and what they do. And so we push it off and then we wonder why our work can sometimes feel so futile. Why when you and I go to work you say, well, Chad, your, your work, no, no, no. We, we go to work. We go to our eight to five or whatever our hours are, the thing that we do. And we look and we say, is this an end in itself? Is this it? And God has invited you into something, a work that supersedes all other works so that every other work finds its place in that work. That that becomes your ultimate work is for the sake of the advancement of the gospel to all nations, every nation, tribe, and tongue, people from every, from every corner of the world knowing and proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. When you tap into that, then your work right here, eight to five, all of a sudden takes on a new life. I, I wish I could recount to you all of the stories that I have heard in my lifetime of those who tapped into that reality, a businessman, of people like farmers, people like um, engineers. You know, I think about some of the engineers that I had the chance to do life with over in Lake Charles. These were incredibly godly men who were excelling in their fields, who were working at some of the plants that are there in Calcasieu Parish, who were, who were rising in the ranks and all of these things. But these were a group of men that knew, that knew that the purpose of their life was not just to make a bunch of money, 
was not just to rise in the ranks at, at whatever company they were working at, you know, Westlake or, or, uh, or any of the other companies that were there. No, no, their purpose in life was to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. They, they were locked in on this. So you, you wanna know what all of a sudden they began to do? They began to live a more modest life, even though they were making really good money, in order to give richly to the sake of missions to then use some of their vacation time in order to go to places, to partner in countries, in countries like uh, Zambia, to partner with some of our international missionaries to go there and to use their, their engineering skills in order to do clean water projects. And, and they began to create trade schools so that people there could begin to learn how to do things in order to make money. All of a sudden, their work here took on an entirely new life for the sake of the gospel there. And these were the ones most engaged in their local church that were concerned about their neighbors and their coworkers. They, they were the ones that were inviting their friends and their neighbors and their coworkers to church and leading them to Christ and, and wanting to do Bible studies and all those things. These were the people that had really tapped into something that was far greater than just living for the next promotion or living for the next bonus or to live for a good income. They realized there was more to this, that all of a sudden, all of this was a means to an ultimate work to which they were invited. Brothers and sisters, that's what the people of God then needed to understand is that God was wanting a temple so that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue could come and worship him. He, God welcomed Judaizers, people who would leave another faith in order to come into Judaism in order to worship Yahweh rightly. He welcomed that sort of conversion and, and, and change of belief and system to bring everybody in. And so you and I are called to a work that we need the reminder of his promise, the promise that he made in Egypt, the promise that he made in Christ, and the promise that he continues to fulfill today through his Holy Spirit in your life and in mine. But his patience his promise, these things I think we know to be true, but what I'm desperate to see and what I believe we're all desperate to see is the glory of God's power. We, we, we see these things manifest of patience and we know that he is patient with us. We know his promise and his promise is sure. And we, we sung of his promise just moments ago, but what I am desperate to see in my day and in my lifetime, and what I hope and believe that you are desperate to see in your lifetime is a manifestation of God's power, his power to save. Look what he says, for the Lord of armies, the Lord of armies, meaning I have control over all. Please, please don't forget that God has control over all armies. There's not an army that's greater than God. The Lord of armies says this, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. As I've traveled to different countries, 
one tree that I found in, in many regions. When we were in North Africa, when I've been in the Middle East, I'm in different places, is the olive tree. And the olive tree, it just is this unbelievably resilient tree that's able to produce fruit, even in, in very difficult conditions. So it doesn't have to have like this perfect, you know, condition in order to produce stuff. It just is really able to, to grow and to produce a fruit. But if you set about gathering olives by getting a ladder and then going up and just picking one at a time, you're going to be there for a minute. And so as we went to Morocco and they wanted to give us a sampling of what they had, do you want to know what they did? Threw a, a, a little rope with a stick tied to it, grabbed it, and just started shaking violently. You know what happened? It started raining olives. And they're all on a tarp and he gathers them up. And then that's what we had for our meal was some fresh olives that had just been shaken and brought down. Get the picture. When God's talking about shaking these things, he's loosening them for the gathering. He's shaking the nations in order to gather the nations. He's shaking them in order that they might rightly bring their treasures and lay them before him. He, he's worthy. He's worthy. And so he's wanting to shake all of creation to ultimately bring it to himself. And he has to remind them the glory, the glory of this place, my glory is not is not limited by gold. There's not gonna be any gold on these walls for a long time, fellas. But my glory is not contingent on the gold. My, my glory is not contingent on the silver. My glory isn't contingent. I decide how much of my glory to reveal. I decide, God is saying, how much of my glory to fill. God is saying in his own decree, my glory will be greater in this smaller, less elaborate temple than it was in the former. And the people of God are having to sit there and to wonder and begin to grapple with this reality that his glory is not limited in the ways that they wanted to limit things. Fast forward, they built the temple. It takes them several years, they build it, and it, it's not what it was. It's nothing like Solomon's temple. And then they go for hundreds of years in that way until a man named Herod the Great comes along and then he commences some more work, some expansion work and some elaborate work on the temple. Still on this Zerubbabel second temple, but he's expanding it, he's making it great. He spends about 46 years, so the Bible tells us, making this temple into something spectacular. The people are now looking at it, okay, now this, this is glorious. Now, now is it, we can see the glory of God. And it is in that moment where people are enamored with a building, are enamored with the, the gold implements of, of Herod the Great and, and the stones. Look at the stones. Look at the size of these stones that he's brought in. That all of a sudden, the gospel of John breaks in and says something very radical to us. It says this in John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son of the father, full of grace and truth. God's glory, God's glory, all of a sudden being on full display in a person. And not just a person, but a 
baby. This is essentially John's baby story of Jesus. He doesn't have all of the details that Matthew and Luke do, but he's making clear that all of a sudden, we've got this one full of glory, the only son of God coming and living among us, and we have beheld his glory. Well, then what does Jesus do when he gets to the temple? John chapter two, Jesus answered as they're looking in awe at this temple, at this second temple commenced by Zerubbabel, really completed, if you will, by King Herod and, and all of its beauty. And he looks at it and Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And therefore the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and, and you're gonna raise it up in three days? but he was speaking to them about the temple of his body. Do you see all of a sudden the shift that's taking place? God's glory is now residing in a body, in a person. But he was speaking to them about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement that Jesus had made. Well, you fast forward, Jesus raises from the grave. His disciples believe these things. He then ascends into heaven. Well, what now? What, what, what of the temple now? This is one of the great truths of the New Testament that you and I need to remember about this reality of the temple. Don't you yourselves, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter three, don't you yourselves know that you, you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and that is what you are. Now he's speaking in plural terms here. He's talking to us, not just an individual. I'm a temple, you're a temple, we're all a temple. No, 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 we're a temple. We're a temple. And that's important for us to lock in and to remember. We're a temple. And he goes on in Ephesians, Paul says, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. New temple, new cornerstone. Jesus Christ himself, the new temple cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Don't miss the progression. The people of God then were looking and they were saying, God's glory can't be in this. And we move over and what do they say about Jesus? God's glory can't be in this. And now today, the church, and we look at it, right? And we say, man, we're not as big as we used to be. I mean, even take a congregation like First Baptist New Orleans. Man, we, we, we used to, man, we used to be running a, almost a thousand. Now, now we're only, you know, 400. It's just, it, it, can't, it can't be what it used to be. And God is saying, I choose where my glory is on display. And right now, our brothers and sisters, there may only be like six of them gathering up in a small room by the dark of night in countries like Afghanistan and North Korea. And can I tell you that God is filling that place with his glory. That's how he has chosen to work. He has not said, I need really nice buildings. I, I need the fanciest stuff. I need the best marketing. I need the best you know, team. I need all of this stuff. No, 
God has ordained, God has declared, I will reveal my glory and I have chosen to do it through and in the church. Brothers and sisters, you are that temple. You are set apart as holy. God has filled you with this Holy Spirit. And he has done all of this through the work of his son. But what's important for us to remember, and I invite you to take out your elements that you should have received when you came in. We invite any believer in this room to participate in this moment of worship. If you didn't receive one of these when you came in, and we got deacons that are gonna be running around to give that to you, just lift your hand real fast if you didn't get the cup and the bread when you came in, and we will get that to you. You know, what's important for us to understand is that the way that you and I, this is huge, guys, The temple, okay, the temple is no longer in Israel. You are God's temple. That's really, really huge for us to understand. God now has chosen to reside in his people, in his people. That was only made possible through the gift of his son who died on a cross for your sins and for mine. In fact, the way that Paul says it over in 1 Corinthians 11 is he talks about how he received these things at the beginning, for what I received from the Lord is what I pass on to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I invite you to take out this small piece of bread, and I want you to remember, I mean, just think about even the size of this, the, the smallness. That's how people consider Jesus, like how insignificant. That Jesus, this one person, this small gift, how could, how could this one gift of a life save everyone? It was because that is how God came and dwelt among us. It is because God himself was the gift. God himself taking on our sin and giving his life in exchange for ours. So take and eat with hearts of gratitude today. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Notice the new covenant with the the new temple. I mean, like just notice how these things are moving in a new direction in Christ. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so take now this cup in remembrance of Christ and his sacrifice. But this is where I wanna tie it all together for you to see the the trajectory that, that he's not done, that we need to remember he's being patient in order that salvation may come to more and more, that he has made a promise that he is going to ultimately fulfill in a day that is to come. Because right here in this passage of 1 Corinthians 11, look what Paul says. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, what? Until he comes, until he comes. Let me describe to you what it's going to be when he comes. Revelation chapter 21, verse three. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. 
And then in verse 22, I didn't see a temple in it. I didn't see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Look at the portrait of what is to come. God will be our temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. That shaking, that gathering together will ultimately take place in that day and nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's where all of this is moving. These are the final statements at the end of the Bible of which Haggai was speaking of ultimately, that, that the writer of Hebrews helps orient us that we're waiting for that day. And you and I need to cling to that promise, knowing that the power of God will be on display among all peoples through this gospel. Jesus said, all nations will hear and then the end will come. Brothers and sisters, let us work. Let every other work be under that ultimate work of making disciples of all nations. Let us take of this bread and drink of this cup until he comes making this gospel known to our neighborhoods and to this city, New Orleans, and to all nations. That's why we work, that's why we go. But is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Today, you may be wondering, where is my place in this story? I wanna invite you to spend these moments worshiping and asking, asking God, God, would you please, by your grace, write my name in the Lamb's book of life? God, would you please, by your grace, save me from my sin? There's someone in this room today who's never trusted Jesus. And today you need to enter into his work, his work done for you on the cross, his blood given, his, his body given for you. Father, in this moment, I pray that this will be a time of salvation in someone's life where they would understand the big story of your word, how it is your desire to gather all peoples and that includes them into the temple that you have created, the temple that you are building of people from every nation, tribe and tongue, that they would realize that they are a sinner in need of your grace and that's why Jesus came. So Lord, please today, would you do your powerful work of salvation in this place? And Lord, for all of us, would you orient us to that superseding, that ultimate work to which you have invited us. I'm gonna invite you to stand in this moment. We're gonna sing a song of response, but if you're the one here today who's never trusted Jesus, who's never come to know him, I invite you to come and respond today to this good news of the gospel. I'll be here waiting for you to pray with you and to begin a discipleship relationship with you in Christ.